Welcome to Falling in Love with God's Word with Jill Grossman. Hi, I'm Jill. I'm glad you're taking the time to grow in your understanding of God's Holy Word. I invite you to visit JillGrossman.com. There you'll find additional resources to help you fall in love with God's Word even more, such as books, speaking topics, and workshops. Now, let's get started with today's lesson. Okay, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word even more. And um, just be with me as I, I, as I deliver this lecture. And trust in you completely. And lift up your name on high. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, now, let me give this a shot here. Hot dog, hot dog. Okay, we're good to go now. Okay, so... Have you ever tried to explain something to someone or say something to someone? Like sometimes when you're giving a speech or you're giving a lecture and, um, and someone hears something completely different and you kind of look at you kind of go, well, I didn't even say that. <laughs> well, that's not what I meant, but they got something and it meant something to them. Because um, people hear, th- I mean, like a lot of parents will say something to their kids and it's like, that's not what I said. That's what you said. That's not what I said, you know, kind of thing. Some people hear things through their filter and they can hear something completely different. And I think that's what we're experiencing with King Nebuchadnezzar. Because last week, Daniel says to the king, he says, You, O king, or the king of kings, the God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. So really, yeah, he did kind of take it and go, okay, yeah, aren't I wonderful? (laughs) And... um, and so, yeah, like we were talking about, he didn't know, you raise things up to an image, it is the Babylonian way, and, and yeah, that was a really good discussion that we had earlier. So ending chapter 2 says that the king then falls prostrate before Daniel and says, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of, Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. His humility and awe, however, did not last long, right? Um, instead of being humbled before God who controls history, which was one of the points of Daniel's interpretation when he interpreted, in, interpreted the, the dream, Nebuchadnezzar eventually be, uh, began to dwell on the dream's portrayal of himself and his empire because Babylon was the largest and most powerful empire at that time as the golden head, uh, when he was referring to the gold head on the statue. So he became self-focused and self-enamored. Oh, you leave that light on, Randy, yeah. please. Thank you. Um, so sometimes that happens to us. Our focus shifts on what our accomplishments are rather than giving thanks for what he has accomplished through us. We, we lose that, and that begins to turn into a certain amount of boasting. Um, so Daniel is not, by the way, a little... Uh, fact here, Daniel is not mentioned at all in chapter 3. I don't know if you caught that. Daniel doesn't say, and I said, and Daniel's here. Daniel's not mentioned at all in chapter 3. So we must assume that he is not there for this event. But he may be traveling and doing business on behalf of the king 
But if we read, or, or is, as we read to the end of chapter 2, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon while Daniel remained at the royal court. That's what it says in verse 49 of chapter 2. So, so Daniel might have been back at the kingdom because 3.1 starts off with, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So if Daniel's in the royal court, then, um, then, Nebuch- then Nebuchadnezzar's out there on the, in, out in the province, and that's where Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego were administrators, appointed administrators anyway. So Daniel... Um, but no one knows for sure. So let's get some perspective. Where are they? Well, all right. Planet Dura is about in the middle, right in here somewhere. So there's Babylon. So, so Daniel must be here, and this must be the plains over here where they're erecting this golden statue. And this is an actual image um, of where the Planet Dura is. So I, I'm assuming this is the archaeological dig that I dug up right there, that I dug up, get it? And, um, uh, but or, um, I'm not sure if that's it, but like those look like raised houses. So I think this is the archaeological dig. That's right here, and that's the Euphrates River. So I thought that was kind of a cool thing I wanted to share. All right, so he was the greatest of all kings, so he was told. He was told he was the greatest. And Daniel said, my God says you're the the great king. So what could be more fitting than to construct a gigantic golden image dedicated to himself as God and and to his empire, right? So he, um, he did this dedication ceremony and all the leaders attended from all over the empire. They were required to be present there. And this was a huge event. Uh, he asks and kind of demands, asks, uh, for a public show of loyalty. Maybe he was thinking this would unify his entire empire. So maybe his heart was in the right spot, but because he's a pagan and didn't know any better, he was going about it, you know, from our point of view, the wrong way. So ancient kingdoms were fond of statues. They built them all the time. We see them in museums when we go see museums. Um, it is possible that this was made to his likeness because most statues of kings and leaders are. So it's quite possible. And the kind that, um, kind of like the, the way we see um, these, the Lincoln and Jefferson memorials. Now, I could go, in, you know, I, I could go picture crazy trying to, you know, show you the Lincoln and the, and the, the um, um, Jefferson Memorial. I just thought that was just a good point to put there. So anyway, the size of the statue. Size of the statue says it's um, it's uh, 90 feet high. That is equivalent to a nine-story building. And the closest I could come to a nine-story building is the Estes, oopsies, Estes Kefauver, I think that's how you say it, federal building in downtown Nashville. That is uh, nine stories high. Seven, oh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. It's a little shy. Sorry, little, little shy. But that's. But I wanted you to get a perspective of what it looks like from the street level. So what are you about that tall? You get an idea, and then it's nine feet wide. That's probably from that table to that table, I would think, right? So we were talking about it earlier. That was a skinny little thing, tall and skinny. 
So that's the, probably with the plains being so flat, that you could see that from miles away. They, some commentators say probably it could, it could have been seen from 15 miles away on a clear day. Just like when we're driving down I-24 and we can see downtown. Now, now that's a lot higher, but we can still see from 20 miles away, right? So that's not far from the truth of what they're saying. Then there is a command. There is not a suggestion. There is a command and proclaimed. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pi- and pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. That's Daniel 3.5. All right, well, I'm going to segue into something I found that I want to share with you guys. So, here is James Polk. He was one of our presidents, and he was elected president in 1844. Now, it is said that of all the American presidents, only George Washington had a stronger record of success in office. Polk's wife, Sarah Childress Polk, became the first presidential wife to serve her husband as secretary. She banned dancing, she banned card playing, and all alcoholic beverages from the White House. She came from a very strict Protestant background. But something else bothered her. Her husband was only five foot six inches tall, and he would often enter a room full of dignitaries, even at the White House, and go unnoticed for several minutes until someone said, would say, oh, the president is here. So in an effort to solve this problem of disrespect, Sarah requested the selection of a song be played each time the president entered the room and ordered uh, uh, in the room in order to announce his presence. Now, I've, I didn't want to bother you with the name of the song, but it turned into Hail to the Chief. And so um, since that time, all presidents now, are re- uh, when a president walks into the room, all is required to stand. So if the president walked in, we would be required to stand out of respect to the office. So this would be, so what reason I brought that up, this kind of was the same kind of thing. You are to, I demand respect, everybody bow down and worship, worship this this image. You know, just like that same attitude, if the president walked in, we were to respect him by standing up. That's not worshiping. So he went one step further, but out of respect. So, um... So, yes, okay, sorry, I lost my, I lost my point. But so if, if President Trump requ- required that we all stand up and we knew that we would stand up, but then worship, and then we'd be thrown into the fire, that's the same, that was the, the parallel I was trying to make. So Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego were there at the ceremony, and they faced that serious dilemma. They may have been allowed to worship their Hebrew God, but they were only allowed to do that in private. We're talking about public now, right? A public display of worship to a pagan idol. They, they also might have been able to declare an oath of loyalty to the king himself, but as Jewish men, they knew uh, what God had said in Exodus. So, again, we read it earlier, but let's read it again. You shall make... For yourself, and you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And that's Exodus 24 5. 
As Christians, we are under a biblical mandate to obey the laws that, um, of this land, except when it comes to situations where human laws defy divine laws. That's when we say, that's enough. You're not going to, I'm, I'm not. I would rather be obedient to my God than, and, than to be disobedient to him. He comes first. They could have rationalized with themselves and on one hand made the decision to comply with the king's orders just this once. God will understand, right? Because, I mean, he sees the pressure. No, no. I mean, um, I mean, they were doing good work for the Babylonian government. And I, we, may be, we may be the generation that looks into having, you know, our, our cashless society go to that tattoo that we talk about and get the 666. You know, you can't, you have it on your hand, you can cut off your hand, someone can use your hand. Where, where, and then it'll be reading the eye, probably go to reading the eye because you have to be alive, which means the only place would be the head. Everywhere else can be taken off and used. So it's, there's a, a company in Sweden. They already have a tattoo in their, a chip in their wrist where they use to open it. It's a one, from the world's view, it's a great security. It's a great idea, but that's a worldview. We, we know the spiritual consequences of this, but it's already being implemented. Um, so we kind of are faced with this in some ways. But on the other hand, if they defied the king, they might lose their pre- prestigious position that God himself had promoted them to. They, I'm sure their brain was going back and forth. Well, no, am I serving God? I'm doing a good thing. What do I do? Maybe just this once. No, there's going to come a point where just we have to get this across. There is no just once. There is no second chance. Um, so they're thinking what to do, what to do, what to do. Well, there is no pondering of the thought with these young men. They had an intimate relationship with God. They knew him and they trusted him and they trusted in his leadership without having to really explain what they see with their earthly eyes. And that's, that's important. They trusted them for his will for them. Do we trust ourselves? Do we trust God enough for our, that he's got our will the best in his mind? You know, that he's got the best for us. It may not make sense for us, but that he's got the best for us. His will, your will be done, Lord. Your will be done, Lord. In my opinion, maybe that's why the book of Daniel chooses to keep their Babylonian names when they tell the story. Those are just names given to them by a pagan king. God, however, gave them their real names because that reveals who they are and, more importantly, whose they are. So let's review. Shadrach is Hananiah. Jehovah is gracious. Meshach is Mishael, who is what God is. And Abednego, Azariah, means the Lord helps. Your name is not an accident. You may not like your name, but it's not an accident. You know. Yeah. Well, there you go. I mean, there's, there's, look them up. Look them up. So, um, you know, I, my name is Jill Allison Bradley Grossman. That's my full name. Jill means youthful. And Allison means truthful because I, there's some stuff came against me and I fought back and fought back for the truth. Uh, Bradley means broad meadow. We're not sure what that means. I don't know. Maybe as time goes on, I may find that out. I don't know. Um, we're we're going to dismiss that. I gave that name away and I married a man named Grossman, which means total and complete. So my name is youthful, truthful, total and complete. Yeah, I mean, well, if, if you knew my testimony, that comes full circle. 
So that, that's, that's very, names are very important. I encourage you to look up your names. Um, because of what they knew from who they know, meaning God, to them being obedient to God was the most important thing to them. That's where we need to get. That should be the A number one thing in our heart, the most important thing being obedient to the Lord. They chose not to bow down and out of defiance to the, but not out of defiance to the king, but out of obedience to the Almighty. They trust his leading completely. So you can just kind of hear, there wasn't an attitude in their voice. They were really, I'm sure they were nervous, like we were talking about, and, and um, probably shaken. But it was just so important to be obedient to God Almighty, Yahweh, not to the king. So the king asks, you will not worship my golden image? I can just imagine. He must be just, oh, what? After what I've done for you, like we had talked about? I can't believe this. They were respectful but firm. And Nebuchadnezzar was not used to being rejected or defied. You don't tell a king no. You just don't. It's not in the vocabulary. And they, his appointed advisors, did. You can just imagine the gasp. I mean, can you? I'm sure everybody. You ever you ever been in a room full of people and you're standing there and something ha, you know you sort of something turns on a dime? No, I don't think so. And the room just goes quiet. You know, like, oh, did she just say that? You know, that's probably what happened. There was probably this, oh, and that awkward silence before Nebuchadnezzar just, Wah! you know, blows in rage. These boys are now accused of treason, like we brought up. Yes, it. They. This was. This was as bad as treason. You don't go against a king's edict. He had issued an edict. So Nebuchadnezzar's respect for Daniel's God had not raised his theology at all. So he challenges the boys with the rhetorical question. What God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Probably really mockingly too. So contrary to Nebuchadnezzar's point of view, he was not in control of their lives. And I think that infuriated him. So remember, no one is in control of your life except your obedient surrender to Christ who will lead you and love you. Hebrews 13.6 says, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? We have to remember that, especially in these times. This life on earth is simply a passing journey toward our heavenly kingdom. Don't get comfortable. I mean, it's have a good life. Enjoy life. God rejoices with you and he cries with you. But, but this, is not, this is not our forever place. Have you ever lost control when you didn't get your way? Have you ever just had one of those hissy fit meltdowns? We read about people today being shot or stabbed because they didn't get the drink order they wanted or they didn't take out the trash right. You know, people are killing each other right and left. This king lost control and reacted because he could. And no one would stop him because he knew he could. He knew he could get away with bad behavior. No one could stop the king. His poor behavior and fury must have been frightening, but these three young men trusted God over what they saw. So don't ever look with your earthly eyes. Look with your kingdom eyes. And the only way we can have kingdom eyes is to get further in Bible studies and get to know his word and what he says. Christians must stand ready to serve their Lord, whether by life or by death. Sometimes the blood of martyrs fulfills the plan of God. And we may be that martyr. And sometimes miraculous deliverance better suits his purposes. But that's God's choice. That's not ours. 
Can you trust him with what he chooses to do for your life? It is believed that Christ, not an angel, is the one who shows up while they're in the furnace. The king sees this and all are amazed. Um, And then the king calls them out of the furnace only to find the ropes have been burned off, but nothing else, not even their clothes. And by the way, they were thrown in with their clothes so they would be more enveloped by fire, you know, so they would burn in, kind of insulate and, and burn from the inside out. The smell of smoke wasn't even on them. So King Nebuchadnezzar then says humbly, but still in Nebuchadnezzar style. This, I, you know, we read it, but I had, I had to laugh. Therefore, I can just hear him. Therefore, I decree that all people of any nations or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses turned to piles of rubble. For no other God can save in this way. So he showed a little paganism there with what he was going to do. The, but, but at the same time, his heart's in the right spot. No other God. He's never seen something like this before. And again, these young faithful men were promoted again into positions of influence in Babylon because of their faith. So, the faithful trust God even when the outcome is uncertain. My question is, will we? So, how true will we stand in the end? Will we allow God to work regardless of what happens to ourselves? Or will we rationalize? I want you to be careful of a term, Krizlam. Krizlam, you know, it's uh, all roads lead to God, you know. Jesus is a way. No, Jesus is the way, period. And you're going to be met with opposition for that. But we're kind of building a little bit of Islam and what they do and, and how they pray, their discipline of praying five million times a day and, and that it's a peaceful religion and all that. And then there's Christianity because we're made to feel guilty for what we believe. But so there's this little blend called Chrislam. It's just a, it's a term. It's just a, it's a, it's a slang term, but that's what we have to be careful of. Um, so let's look at the possi- four possible definitions of faith. All right. Some say faith is equivalent to optimism. And there's nothing wrong with that. To have faith is to believe everything will turn out all right. That God will prosper you and protect you from all harm. That he will bring your, you success and wealth and happiness. To live by faith is to live with an unshakable optimism. So we know some Christians that are like that. There's nothing wrong with that. There's other faith though too. So... Faith, some say faith is just acknowledging that God exists. Just believe in God, that's all I need. Live this little life, punch my time clock here on earth, and let me go on to heaven. Yeah, I believe in God, I don't know much about him, but I guess he has some power of sorts. I just don't think that my believing in God affects my life and my decisions all that much. But yeah, I'd say I'd live by faith, I guess. There's that kind of faith. And then some say faith is the confidence in deliverance. By this definition, faith is not an overarching optimism, but it is a specific belief that God will rescue you from major harm, that that's his job. It is coming to a crisis point in your life and being sure that God will deliver you. People who subscribe to this type of faith would say that if you learn that you have cancer, for example, then you live by faith, and that is to believe with all your strength that God will heal you. And if you pray hard enough and sincerely enough, then you will be healed. Now, Steve had a friend from college back 
in college, Jason had cancer, and he was part of a church that believed this very strongly. And his cancer went into remission. It was great. Church, you know, celebrated. It was great. They thought, I mean, you know, and then cancer came back, went back in the hospital. And there were people from the church coming in and saying, you don't have enough faith. You don't have enough, yeah, pray harder. The man was dying, and he did die. So I guess the whole thing was he didn't have enough faith. Wow. But that's a belief system. And then there's faith. Some say faith is the equivalence of obedience. Living by faith is choosing to live by biblical principles, even though doing so may be difficult and even though our society may not embrace those principles. Which of these is closest, is your closest understanding of faith? So regardless, I'll say it again, like I said earlier, the faithful trust God even when the outcome is uncertain. So in closing, let's go over these points. Be faithful to your commitments and leave the problems to God. Be faithful to your commitments. God will take the rest. He'll work it out. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. And if it means taking you to heaven, it means taking you to heaven. Yay, then, you know? Never underestimate the power of heaven for miracles and deliverance of deliverance and the glory of God. God's public reputation is, um, is intimately connected with the obedient faith of his people, although it's not dependent upon it. So just remember that. And don't trust the religious language of a pagan politician. <laughs> I just like that sentence. I thought that was well said, so I wanted to put that in there. Trust God with your life at all times, especially in crisis and danger. So, the world is unstable, just like Nebuchadnezzar's character. So we can use that metaphorically, right? He was up and down, raging, loving, you know, ruining houses, throwing people in fires. That's how we feel when we see the world today. So we can think of Nebuchadnezzar's character as that. And Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are our examples of stability and faith. Next time you're in a crisis, I want you to think, I will stand with God. I will trust his will for my life and not in my circumstances. And that's what I want for all of us. So would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, thank you for the courage and the faith of these men. And may this passage of scripture inspire us to greater trust and dependence upon the same God that they served, which is you. You're the same yesterday, today, and you will be the same tomorrow. May you be blessed in all we do. And in Jesus Christ's name, we pray this prayer to you. Amen. I hope you enjoyed this week's lesson, and I encourage you to fall in love with God's word.